0: I would love to have you take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter four. And if you would find the study notes in your bulletin, I know that they would be a help to you as well. Galatians chapter four, though, of course, we'll begin in a moment with some reading from the end of chapter three. I want to reference a book just to get us headed toward the text and um, a little explanation here I think will be will be good for us. In 2001, Ed Welch wrote this book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Finding Hope in the Power of the Gospel. And uh, of course, a lot has happened in this field since 2001 when this book was written. And this makes it, of course, by 2001, not the latest book out there on the topic. But nonetheless, um, he mentions some things in chapter one about human nature and here's where I want to grab a couple of things that will help us come to Galatians four. Galatians four, the section that's ours today, is is admittedly not a section on addictions, but it's on enslavement to certain things. And something that he taps into here is that often we think of addictions in certain categories and not in others. Typically, things uh, drugs, alcohol, Sex, pornography, things like that, the bad list, admittedly. And then other areas that we have on a maybe a different list. But he's, he's wanting to talk about what's going on in the human heart that looks for joy and satisfaction, if you will, salvation, some other place than in God. And we do this with great regularity. So I want to read just a couple of things and then I'm going to read you his list, okay? Are you ready? Prepare to feel guilted here in a moment. So he says this, since we live in a culture that encourages self-indulgence, it should be no surprise that addictions are everywhere. Scripture emphasizes sex or food or alcohol, a category that would include mind-altering drugs, as the most common addictions, and those appetites remain the most prevalent, yet a list of potential task masters is always growing whereas addiction was once a term used for the chronic heavy drinker over the past decades its turf has expanded dramatically and then he gives a list i'm going to read his list and you see how this sits with you he says well uh, alcohol anger love weightlifting sleep Nicotine, pain, TV or other entertainment, exercise, gambling, he says, nose drops. Who knew? Didn't know. Uh, Cocaine, work, sports, pause for a moment of guilt, uh, sugar, people, sex. Caffeine. Caffeine. Shoplifting. Can you think of another version of that? Yeah, shopping. I'm always amazed at the number of you who tell me later that you bought stuff on Amazon during church. <laughs> People thought you were on, on your Bible app and you weren't. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> a moment of confession. No guilt. to just, just, Yeah. Which reminds me, I really should get that on Amazon right now. Okay. Uh, Lying. He continues. I don't know what happened. The next one. Chocolate. How is that an addiction? That's a health food benefit. Risk. (laughs) (laughs) Success or winning or power. Uh, Pornography. How am I doing? That's the end of his list. Did you already think of some more? That's a food group, Nancy. <laughs> it's like air. <laughs> um, cell phones. Can that be an addiction? Yeah, I, I, I will admit to a moment of panic the other night. I, I, this is true. I mean, this, in the interest of being uh, vulnerable and uh, honest. I, I came home from uh, our small group uh, Wednesday night and put my stuff down, put my phone down. Just a couple minutes later, I went, where's my phone? I had that moment that you have sometimes. Others of you don't know about this. But for some of us, there's a moment when you say, oh, no, where did I put that? It's not just because it's worth a few hundred dollars. It's because it's my lifeline. It's my connectivity. Really, honestly, how would I know if if someone called me, if there was a baby? I mean, come on. I've got to have my phone. I must be connected. Moment of panic. Okay. Quickly, our minds already around the room are saying, oh, but that's okay right? This is okay. That's a necessity. I mean, let's be careful what we call addictions. I'm so glad you're thinking like that. I want you to. Um, And we'll talk more about this a little later. But I want us to step into the text because here in Galatians, we're talking about this subject of freedom in Christ. And what does this mean? That Christ has set us free. Free from well, there are things specifically mentioned in the text, and I mentioned today's very short uh, section is not specifically about addictions, but it's about things that enslave the human heart, things we look to as God replacements. I see a connection. I want to pray for us, and I want to read a portion of the text. We'll look, deal with what Paul's talking about, and then I think by extension, it's application into some of the things that we've just, we've just mentioned here. But pray with me, please, if you would, as we come to God's word. Our Father, your word is, is so connected to life, you intended it to be that way. Uh, crossing the generations, uh, down through time, human nature has been the same. How quickly we seek fulfillment and joy in things that were never intended to satisfy the human heart on the level to which we ask them. Uh, you are to be God and God alone. Our Father, we we wrestle with this as humans. To be human is to seek certain things. And I pray that today as we come to your word, that you would help us. Help us, give us diligence in our thinking and in the way we hear the word of God. Uh, Give us that that assurance, that reminder that in this book, this Bible, uh, these are the words of the living God. And so we ask for the help of the spirit of God Uh, in these moments, to hear well and then to love what we hear and embrace it and then to, with your help, apply it to the way we live. So, Father, thank you for these moments as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Your study notes, of course, have a few moments of review, and I'll let you take a look at those. It'll bring you up to speed with where we've been in the last few weeks. And then there's a section called Today's Text. So just a couple of structural things, I suppose, Today we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11 of chapter 4, small section really, but as noted here in this little paragraph, it, it functions as a conclusion of an argument that begins in chapter 3, verse 15, and I would even suggest before that, as uh, is, is we're going to talk about some of that, where Paul's been going, but, but I'd just like to know that when we come back to Galatians in a few weeks, we're taking a break here uh, with with. Uh, this transition to holidays next Sunday Thanksgiving theme and then right into four Sundays of Advent so it'll be end of December till we return to Galatians but you'll notice a different flavor so to speak a different breath when you get to verse 12 okay so it's good that we stop kind of like for the holidays at this moment but I just like to give you structural things some of you like to think bigger picture contextual and so on so there's just a little reminder But I want to read today this broader section. I want to start at verse 29 of chapter 3, which is the concluding verse for the paragraph that precedes it. And then I'll read the section Pastor Ben dealt with last week and down through verse 11. But let's hear the word of God then, and we'll talk about it together. So Paul says this, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring Heirs according to promise. Grand conclusion of that. And then he goes on. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers. Again, looking back to 3.24. Guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, that is before we came to faith in Christ, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It's a phrase Paul uses elsewhere, Colossians. You find a very similar phrase. Those things that enslave before a person comes to faith in Christ. But we read, verse 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba father so we're no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through god formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods but now that you have come to know god or rather to be known by god how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain, and there we'll, we'll call a break. You remember from our previous study of Galatians, Paul is very passionate in this book. We saw that right at the beginning, chapter one, as Paul from right out of the gate he says i i can 't believe we preached the gospel." pointed you to Christ. You came to faith. And, and so quickly, you're, you're heading a different direction. What's going on? How can you do that? So he begins that questioning early on and returns to it here. How could? How is this possible? And of course, he's going to go there uh, later on as well. How can you turn back? If you look at your study notes, you'll see that for my purposes today, I'm, I want to deal with two headings that I think address these few verses. Freedom in Christ must be guarded, a section, and then another one called living in Christ's freedom requires good theology, and I want to talk about some things there. Uh, I think in, in those, under those headings, uh, giving a, a light to verses 8 through 11. But looking first then at that first part, freedom in Christ must be guarded, that's really the passion of Paul in this book. And I point you as well to chapter 5, verse 1, where again, Paul pounds the pulpit if he were to have one in front of him, as he says, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He just keeps saying this. Why would you, having come to Christ, why would you seek enslavement to anything or anybody else? Why would you let that happen? I don't understand. What's going on in you He's asking, what's going on in you that you would allow yourself, who, who've come to faith in Christ and know the freedom of sin forgiven, indwelt by the spirit of God, word of God in front of you, why would you submit to any form of slavery? And there's his big deal. What's going on with that? Now, chapter five, of course, in verse one, as I just read, it has two imperatives, if you like keeping track of those things. And it's, it's strongly worded stuff. Don't you do this. How, how is this happening? Now, coming back to the text in front of us, verse 9 then has the question that I think, though it's a rhetorical question, it deserves an answer. How can this be? How can you turn back? Well, I think there are some answers in the text. Of course, this builds on verse 8. He says, formerly, when you didn't know God... You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Remember that Paul is writing to a really a mixed audience, largely Gentile. There were Jewish folks who were present, but largely Gentile, people that were not raised with the Old Testament code and the law code and so on. And now along come some people, remember the whole theme of Galatians, along have come some people saying, I know you're a Gentile background, but Jewish laws and customs, really, you should follow. We saw this in Romans, of course. We've been to Romans 15 to look at it, a similar discussion. But that's what's going on. You used to be, you used to be enslaved, and then you came to Christ. Well, how, how can this be? I put on your study notes some things right out of Galatians that I think answer that rhetorical question. So how does this happen? How does it happen that people can hear the gospel, come to faith in Christ, and go right back into some form of slavery again, well, first, I suggest we listen to false teachers. That's chapter one verse seven. These folks have come in. go back and look at that text. Uh, Paul says, you're listening to some people who've come in. they sound like good religious teachers, and you're listening to them, and they're taking you a different route. This last week, I browsed uh, I read quickly. it's a quick read. Uh, this book uh, called "God Greed." and the prosperity gospel by Costi Hinn. If you hear the name, you might recognize Costi Hinn as indeed a family member of Benny Hinn, famous preacher in the prosperity gospel. Costi was, of course, nephew to, great, to his uncle. His dad also, Costi's dad also, a, a prosperity preacher. And along the way, Hinn, uh, Costi was raised as the next in the family line until he came to genuine faith in Christ and saw the difference between just calling it out a biblical gospel and a prosperity gospel. Uh, And he talks about that in this book, his life growing up in that and all the things he saw from behind the scenes and what it was when he caught a glimpse of the biblical gospel that he said, that's it. And this isn't, I got to get out of here. Well, interesting read. If you like that sort of, of, a, of a story, it's a quick read. It's a story of his, his, his life and leaving of the prosperity gospel for the, for the true gospel. But, but part of his point is this, that Christian beware. Uh, many times our airwaves and our bookshelves and our Amazon lists are filled with books that take us a step or two or ten away from a biblical gospel And part of what he's saying is, do you know your Bible enough to smell a rat when there's a rat there? I mean, come on. Uh, Do you you know the difference difference between God's plan for your life and somebody else's best life now? Can you tell the difference? Do Do you sniff it? Can you tell it? Can you put your finger on a verse that says, no, wait a minute, that's not true. That promise you just made. That if I'll really follow Christ, then I'll get these extra bonuses in this life. Do you see why that's an error? Well, this is a touch on the biblical, on a bigger issue. But I mention it here. We listen to false teachers. That's Galatians 1.7. Folks have come in following our evangelism time. And they're saying, hey, wonderful, everything you just heard. Now come with me over here to this little sidebar. And that's going on. It goes on today, by the way. Second, uh, I listed, it was right out of Galatians. We give in to peer pressure driven by fear or habit or cultural expectations. And I'm turning your mind back to the text in chapter 2, which we've already preached on, where Peter, you remember, even Peter, come on, Peter, Barnabas with him. They're, and you remember my tongue-in-cheek analogy? They're in a, uh, in a church that's got both Jew and Gentile. They're hanging out with the Gentiles because they knew they're free in Christ to do that. And then some Jewish folks came up from Jerusalem of the old school, and before long, Peter's getting up, moving his little plate away from the Gentiles and hanging out with the Jews. And Paul calls him out and says, Hey, what are you doing? It's for freedom Christ has set you free. You can have dinner with those guys. You're not going to be polluted by them. You live in the gospel, or you know, come on. So we can be influenced by peer pressure because sometimes other people come along, and we get afraid that if we live into that area of freedom... My goodness sake, somebody's going to think ill of us. Fear, habit, cultural expectations. Peter. Peter knows all about it. Uh, Chapter 3 is an example of the next one. We failed to grasp solid Bible teaching on grace and faith. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Plus, what is it? Nothing. Nothing. By grace through faith in Christ. And the minute somebody comes along and says, oh, that's so wonderful. Really, really good. But to be a really good Christian, you need to. If it isn't in the Bible... Then, then no. Right? The Bible calls you to spend time in God's word. Yes, absolutely. To, to follow Christ in prayer. Whole number of things biblically driven. Do those. But when somebody comes along and says, well, a, you know, in addition, you must. Wow. Don't do it. Solid Bible teaching on grace and faith. And I'll say a couple things after the next one here. We find slavery so familiar, we trade one kind of slavery for another, giving into the pull of the flesh, I put it that way, or even well-meaning religious systems. I, I want to make this a little more concrete, and this will make a little more sense to those of us of my generation. Um, uh, but I remember back in the 70s, as a as a teenager, uh, there was a certain seminar that came around. I'll keep it nebulous for the moment because my point isn't to pick on anybody there was a certain seminar that came around that was intended to teach biblical principles or so it seemed and it moved through the christian culture and many churches as our church did had a champion that said you know what if you're really going to be a follower of jesus you need to go to this seminar it'll unload you'll see the bible through new eyes it promised a lot and if you're really going to be a good Christian, and the guy in our church, he hammered all of us. If you're, I mean, come on. If you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, you should go to this. Well, then if you did, then there was another seminar. And then there's a whole way of life. Much of it, much of it. Oh my goodness, really not bad at all. Then there's a, a pastor's thing. And then there's an advanced pastor's thing. And somewhere along the way, yeah, as I did some Bible training and so on, I started going, wait, hold on. A, B, C, no problem. D, that's not what that verse says. That's your opinion. Wait a minute, it was sold as what the Bible says. That wasn't what the Bible says. You just gave me, You just slipped in your opinion right after A, B, and C, right out of the Bible. Hold on, that's not okay. And my goodness sakes, somebody come along saying, if you don't do this seminar or this thing, you'll never advance further in faith. Let me just tell you, be careful of this, okay? These things, these kinds of things are still around. Um, I remember even as innocuous as this, I remember some years ago, a guy who was at the time attending this church, um, he had heard enough sermons, uh, he was listening to a lot of things elsewhere, uh, that, that made a lot, make a big deal about Greek and Hebrew. The Greek word is, the Hebrew word is, nothing wrong with Greek and Hebrew words, but he had heard enough in his life, and he finally said this to me, "I've just, you know what, I've come to the conclusion that I'm never really gonna advance in my faith in Christ until I learn the biblical languages. I'm gonna be stuck. See any problems with that? Well, yeah, you don't have to know Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic to, to be a follower of Jesus. It's I guess if you like that sort of thing, do it. Uh, some of us had to study it, but you don't have to do that to be a like... A real follower of Jesus. It won't take you, I mean, pull your fingernails out at some point there along the way, but it won't make you a better follower of Jesus. I and mean, come on, folks. We've got, to, we've got to develop a certain sense that when there's a, a movement or a book or a, I don't know, something that comes along and says, this is like a bonus, it'll really, oh, we just got to be careful of these things. Well, freedom in Christ must be guarded. How can it be that you turn back to this other kind of slavery? How could it be? Well, here's how it can be. We've seen it in Galatians. I want to move to that next section then. Verse 10 now look at this, I put it under the heading of living in Christ, freedom requires good theology. You look at verse 10, and will tack 11 with that. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with theology? Well, let's talk about this for a minute. If you look at my sermon notes for just a, a, a moment here, this first section I called, let's get freedom squared away. Now, we live in a world that likes to talk about freedom. Um, every teenager growing up, and maybe it was you, could hardly wait to get to be 18 or 21 cuz then I mean and I'm an adult and what do we say when I'm 18 I can I can do whatever I want now all of us who are older kind of chuckle at that now right as well we should because listen there is never a time in your life when you can do whatever you want i know it's a sad reality to all of us who are older you just can't there's never a time in your life you can do whatever you want at least at least not without some kind of consequences so I, I put here on your study notes, people often speak of freedom as if it is absolute freedom. Absolute freedom, which I would suggest to you, that is an illusion. There, you, you do not have absolute freedom. You do not have it, no one does. You can't have it. Sorry, you can't have it. And I mentioned, for the sake of discussion, some areas in which you do not have absolute freedom. Things like natural laws. You do not have the freedom to skip those. First, of course, with the blank, gravity. You are still subject to the law of gravity. When you're 12 and you think it's fine to jump off the roof of the house, I suppose you could say you're free to do that, and you are, you're also free to break both ankles. Um, You're still subject to the law of gravity. Say, well, I'd like to think that I can do whatever I want. Well, you'd like to think that all day long. You're still subject to the laws of genetics. And I'm not gonna go down any rabbit trails there, but let's just say this. Suppose I woke up one day and said, you know what? I would like to think of myself as a six-foot-four Asian woman. What are the chances of that ever happening? Well, zero. Zero, as a matter of fact. Uh, Genetically, I'm none of those things. Nothing wrong with six-foot-four Asian women. I'm just none of those. I'm kind of this. It's what you got. There's some of things that are genetically driven from the time you were thought of uh, by God himself, Uh, Man, Uh, social structures, who's really free from the laws, from traffic laws, uh, from general laws, health and safety considerations. I'll just do it this way. Really? No, these things, these things are, they, they, they enforce our freedom. And the next one is also legitimate. People need to know these things. Our young people have got to know relational boundaries. It's not only young people, things like common courtesy, which isn't of course, family realities. If you're a jerk to live with, you can jolly well live alone. I put in there, but there are certain boundaries. If you're going to live around people, listen, you're not free to do whatever you want. How's that sound? Is that true? Um, It it really is. I'm going to play my country music, you know, decibel uh, ultimate at three in the morning. Am I free to do that? It's my house. Well, sure, but not if you want anybody else living with you. And uh, my goodness sakes, we could go off from there if you live in an apartment or something. No, there's, there are community boundaries. Do you, you want to have dinner tonight or not? Then you need to tell me if you're going to be home in time for dinner. Otherwise, I'm not cooking for you. Those are just boundaries. And sometimes people chafe against these. Listen, sometimes husbands and wives chafe, chafe against these things. But to enter into relationship means that there are boundaries. No, you can't do whatever you want. You okay with this? When you, when you agree to a relationship, when you agree to live in community... You're agreeing to limit your freedom. You, you, you really are. Well, I, I want a, a little sidebar here. I'm going to pick at something, and I think it's an application of this, this, this business of freedom. Um, and I just want to encourage in certain areas. And so, to do so, I'm going to pick at something. But I, I, sometimes we say to our kids, "When you grow up, you can be whatever you want." Any problems with that? Well, in the absolute sense, that isn't really true. It's really not true. Why would you tell your kids that? You can be whatever you want. First, you don't mean it, and it's not true. Um, Somebody could have told me when I was five, you're gonna be, you know what? You're gonna be the fastest man on earth if you really try. Can I just tell you, due to the law of genetics, I was never gonna be the fastest man on earth if I really tried. Was never gonna happen. Somebody could have told me young, you're going to be a world-class mathematician. If I tried really hard, you know what? I don't love math. Uh, Maybe if I, okay, tried, but you know what? Sometimes if you try really hard, it doesn't make it so. Isn't that true? There's some, some little kids who are seven, and they love math, and you can see it right away. And here's the thing. Why wouldn't you tell your kids, listen, God has shaped you from the moment you were ever thought of. God has shaped you. He's getting, he, he, When you were born, he gave you the skin color, the hair color, the eye color, the body capabilities that he designed for you. He gave you the gender that he designed for you. He made you a little boy or a little girl. What a wonderful thing. God has a plan for your life, and it's a good plan. Why wouldn't we tell our kids that? What a wonderful God we have. Why would we tell them? You just make it up. Well, wow, man, I knew in high school when I took Electronics 101, you're never going to love this, man. You're never going to love this. And I didn't, and I don't. I just you try real hard. Yeah, no. And then you find other things you do love because God has shaped you for that. So why wouldn't we tell our kids growing up, listen, buddy, listen, sweetie, it's so much better than whatever you want. A loving God has designed some things for you. What a wonderful gift. Man, let's tell our kids that. How about that? I think, I think that's where we want to go. Now, how does that lead me then to verse 10? Well, here's the idea. Speaking to a Gentile crowd, you have these Jewish false teachers coming in and saying this Jewish calendar of days, Sabbaths, and months, festivals, and so on, seasons, and years, you need to adopt these things in your life. You can be a Christian, yes, but you need to add these things. And here's, I think, the context of Galatians. To find favor with God, you need to add these things. To be a real Christian, you need to add these things. To to get along better with your Jewish brothers and sisters, you need to add these things. Now, how many of you have ever been to a Seder? As have I, my hand is up. A Seder, okay, thank you. A Seder, of course, is a Jewish celebration telling the story of Passover. In the Jewish context, every single year you'd celebrate a Seder. It's telling the story of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt long time ago, and it tells the story in a family context, around a meal, and it's fun, it's acted out, it's interactive, youngest have jobs, and all these things, and it tells the story of the gospel. Wonderful teaching tool, even for a child of God, to go and hear the story of Old Testament deliverance. Two big redemptive events in the Bible, right? Old Testament uh, delivers from Egypt, looking ahead to the bigger deliverance of Christ from slavery to sin. So the Bible's a unit that way. So so why wouldn't you do that? Wonderful. But what if somebody came along and said, oh, listen, for you to be a real good Christian, you need to go every year. Where were you this year, by the way? You're never going to advance in your Christian life. And someone begin to add pressure to you to do this certain thing, which is good in itself. you see where that could take you kind of sideways? A wonderful thing to do. But let's not add redemptive or favor with God or if I put her on your study notes, something you do to make up for sin. There are things Christians do to try to make up for sin. I I, I know this because I hear it. Man, I really messed up. I'm going to try to get to church more, and it's almost like I'm trying to like make up to God. You know what? Uh, we're missing the point of the gospel. There is when you mess up. When you mess up, listen. When you mess up, as we do, you don't need to like give extra offerings or you know more money to God or go to church extra. You should go to church, but I'm just not not as to make up for sin. No, Christ died for you. He Christ died to pay for that. You turn to him in repentance and faith, trust Christ to wash you clean from that sin. You don't have to make it up with God. He's not like somebody you take cookies to. Here, maybe, maybe are we okay now? I mean, come on, that not that, that it. No, Christ died for you. Died on the cross, paid for your sin. You come in repentance and faith. You don't have to make up to God with any kind of a thing. Wow, I I hope you see the deal here. Verse 10, Paul says, you observe these things, not necessarily bad in themselves if you did it to learn and so on, but if you're doing those with religious intent to find favor with God or like not gonna have a real Christian life without them, big problem here, big problem here. That's not the gospel. Now, I I reference another uh, related study. I'm gonna flip back to Romans 6 for a moment. And this is an entirely different sermon, which I will not step into now. Except for a moment. Okay? In Romans 6, verses 15 to 23, uh, Paul expands on the same ideas that we're addressing in Galatians 4. Galatians, of course, probably Paul's earliest letter. Romans, written later and more expansive, so more detail. And he talks in Romans 6, this, really the whole chapter, but the latter half in particular. About this idea of being enslaved, enslaved, and how we are not to be enslaved to sin, but rather, he says, if you look down in that broader section, talking about all of this. Instead of being enslaved to sin, he says in verse 22, "You are you have become a slave of God," and this this is an important thing for Christians to think about. And I hope that you'll you will in your your small group notes and maybe discussion there, Uh, but the Bible presents two, not three. Ready, two, not three options. Two options, not three. So slavery to sin and self, slavery to God. We like to create option three, which is what I just was talking about a minute ago, which is ultimate freedom, I'm not enslaved to anybody, I can do whatever I want. Well, let me tell you, in the Bible's Bible language, that category is really a part of the first. Slavery to your own appetites and desires, your own human way of thinking to do whatever I want. That is part of the first one. Slavery to sin and self and make it up. I I run my own life. I'll make my own decisions. It's all over here. The Bible puts that ultimate freedom right over here. It's not three options. There's two. So slavery to sin and death and a That's what Paul's talking about here. It's got a bad outcome. Or slavery to God. What kind of outcome is that? A God who loves you. God who's going to grow you in holiness and one day take you to be with him. If you'd like to explore that, I realize I'm just giving you a sense, a teaser about that, but it's part of the idea and you need to know it. If you want to explore that more deeply, the only writer I know that has done so at any length, um, a John MacArthur book entitled Slave. Subtitled, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ. He calls it hidden because he correctly points out that the word doulos, it's a Greek word, it's usually translated slave. Sometimes it's translated, many of our translations, it's translated servant, like a servant of God, because that's more palpable to uh, today's audience, frankly. Uh, A servant sounds like I could quit tomorrow. It's like an employee, employer. I don't like the boss, I'm going to leave. You know, forget the two weeks notice, keep the check, I'm leaving. And off you go. That's a that's a servant idea. I don't have to work for you. Slave isn't quite like that. It implies ownership. And the term for our relationship to God is the same one: doulos, a slave of God, a slave of Christ. And to some, that sounds really terrible. Guess what? If you have the best master on the face of the planet, the one who leads and guides your life, who, who, who never will operate for what isn't for his glory and your good, good night. What, what exactly more do you want? And I'll send you right back. I'll send you right back to this list where we started. Which of these will better meet your needs, give you greater joy, be a God, be a God replacement? What, how do these things work for you? Do these give ultimate meaning and purpose, alcohol, anger, uh, pursuit of human love, Weightlifting, sleep, nicotine, pain, TV, exercise, gambling, nose drops, cocaine, work, sports, sugar, people, sex, caffeine, shoplifting, shopping, lying, chocolate, okay, risk, success, winning, and pornography. Do those do those things, how do those things do at giving meaning and purpose to your life? How do they do it providing joy? Do they help your family? Do they bring your heart rest in the middle of the night? How about that? Or do you turn to Christ? Do you turn to Christ? I mean, come on, folks. Why, Paul says, why would you Having been a slave before, turn and be a slave again. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You belong to Christ. If You've trusted him as your savior. On your study notes, just that last little section. This is more than what we can really process, I think, and think about fully in one setting. But I'd like to ask you, and again, you're in a community group. You'll be talking about these things. But I, I list here, I ask you the question, what things or habits or pleasures own you? What things own your heart? And here's some questions for you to think about. What things do you count on? What things, if you missed them, and we say, it makes me grumpy? What What is that for you? Are there things in your life that if you don't get it, it makes you, you, you we say it that way. It made me, I missed my show. I missed my whatever. I didn't get that. I didn't get to sit down and watch this football game because the kids kept running. It's an important game. You don't understand. Get out of here, you guy. Oh, What's God to you right now? What, do you, what, what is it if you don't get it and get it just right? You choose to be grumpy about it. That's sin, isn't it? At that moment, that thing is God to you. It's a God replacement. It's not, it's, it's master of you. How many people wake up one day and say, man, I'm, <laughs> this thing owns me, owns me. Later, uh, Paul says, 1 Corinthians, I ask you to look at that in your community group notes. I don't have it in front of me. No, I will not be mastered by anything. All things may be lawful, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Um, (laughs) I mentioned first hour. Sorry, this is stepping on toes. Um, I like ice cream or chocolate or caffeine as much as the next. How many times have you heard anybody say, or maybe said it yourself, I'm really grumpy in the morning until I get... Really? So that's an excuse to sin? Is it really? Really? It's an excuse to sin until I get what I want. Think about what you're saying. Think about it. And, and and don't talk like that. I can choose to sin until I get more sugar. Really? Oh, buddy. I do not think that that's what Christ set us free to be. So, if I meddle enough for one morning, I'd like to pray for us. Would you stand with me? And, uh, oh my... Away we go out to the coffee bar. (laughs) Let me pray that God will help us as we translate this into life. Father, thank you for the morning. Uh, It is indeed for freedom that Christ has set us free. We ought not to be enslaved to anyone or anything other than God himself. Our Father, would you help us give us eyes to see ourselves really in the mirror of your word. What things are true of us, what things are not and then joyfully to follow you. And if there are bondages in our life, even if it's something that isn't sin in itself, if something owns us, God, would you help us by the power of the Spirit of God to break those chains so that nothing owns us other than Christ alone? Thank you, Father, for the morning and for these challenging words from Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.